welcome to episode 7 of our series There Is No Planet B. This is the final episode in our series of conversations with climate activists, and for the final episode we have two members of Extinction Rebellion who are also Buddhists. And this episode is called The Burning House. Presented by Marlene Halliday for Indie Live Media. Well, welcome everyone to uh, another in our series, There Is No Planet B. And uh, I'm here I'm here this week with Angela Lombardi and Shantigarbha. They're both Buddhists. Angela is a member and practices uh, in the uh, community of the Glasgow Buddhist Centre. And I know she helps organise their social action group, which you know was pretty active during COP26 here in Glasgow last uh, last month. Shanti Garba uh, lives in Bristol, and he is the author of a book laying out the Buddhist response to the climate and ecological emergency that we human beings have brought about here on our one habitable planet. So Angela and Shantigarbha, thank you both very much for agreeing to come on the programme. I really appreciate that. Um, uh, so yeah, it's great. It's great to have you. Thank you. Shantigarbha, if we if we begin with you, uh, so you, your book is called The Burning House and it's the, the subtitle is A Buddhist Response to the Climate and uh, Ecological Emergency. Can you tell us a bit about why you chose that title and um, you know, what its relevance or significance is to, to Buddhists and to climate emergency? Okay, so I was getting interested in trying to write something about a Buddhist response to the climate ec ecological emergency. And then I think it was, in, it was in 2019, I heard Greta Thunberg saying to various groups of world leaders, she said, I want you to act as if your house was on fire. And I thought, aha, that gives me my book title. That gives me, gives me the title of my book because, well, in the Buddhist text, there's a story, there's a parable about a burning house. And in the parable, there's a father who has many children and his house is on fire and the children are, are inside the house. He tries to get them out, doesn't succeed, tries again, and then manages to, to get them out. And he has a particular way of doing that, which I can talk about. But uh, just that image of the burning house and how do you get people out of a burning house when they don't even realize the house is on fire so i thought that's a really um great parallel with uh, the current climate and ecological emergencies and helps us to think creatively about about those emergencies and how to address them so when it was it was it was published this year i think is that right that's yep. right, just a few months ago, in, in August, yes, yep. just, and, just in time and, for COP26. We were yeah, well, that was, that was uh, fortunate, uh, that was fortunate. And you've been, I know you've been doing, um, going around um, the country doing various book launches, and, and you were up in Glasgow um, while COP26 was on, is that right? Yep. I was indeed, I was there for the first week, and uh, with Angela, uh, we were doing various things, various Buddhisty and, uh, and sort of on the streets kind of things with Exile Buddhists as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so Angela, just just to just to let let people um, know a little bit more about yourself. So, I know you're like I said, you're engaged with the, the Social Action Network at, at the Glasgow 
Buddha Center, and um, I, I was I was watching a video that you did um, just the other day that uh, where you were talking about your own personal journey, you know, in terms of action to to, to save the planet, and you mentioned in it um, what you call a, a chemical moment, a sort of a chemical moment, your description, where something shifts in us. A sort of shift in how 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 we look at ourselves and and, and our place in in the world, and I, I, it would be great to hear a bit more about that. And uh, the, the the other thing you mentioned was about the inner conflicts, and I thought, oh well, that, yeah, we all have those, don't we? You know, like we want to save the planet, and that's genuine, but kind of we also want to drive our cars and go for a holiday and. Mm. And, 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 and and maybe you know and, and and we kind of quite like it that we can get relatively cheap clothes because they're made at the other side of the world and so c could you just yeah. tell us a little bit about that um chemical yeah. moment well yeah thanks very much so it's an alchemical moment like alchemy oh right Al yeah there, that yeah. makes sense yeah so when something just kind of you can't quite scientifically <laughs> explain how you've got to a certain juncture in your thinking but something shifted yeah and i think i think probably like for many people COVID was the one i remember sitting yeah like everybody at the end of march in my house i kind of scared even you know as a practicing buddhist i was feeling some fear and anxiety and then grief and it all kind of just started to come out very quickly across the first few days of lockdown I live on my own, so possibly I was going to be a bit more prone to that yeah. initially than maybe if I'd had people around me. And I think very quickly I fell into, I don't know if listeners would know necessarily what this was, but it's a practice called Tong Len. And it's a practice where we really try and exchange a kind of real feeling for, for other as well as with ourself. And it was a real way that I, I didn't even kind of calculatedly do it, sit down and do it. I just found myself naturally falling into it every day around dusk around now actually where i would just really feel this opening into grief for the world and i suppose that at the time was a response to the suffering that i kind of was gr increasingly aware of like we all were around covid yeah. but over yeah. time as well it just became much more connected to the planet itself yeah, yeah. and i think also with the kind of added downtime sitting in the house, I just got more and more into, ah, okay, this um, this cop thing <laughs> I didn't really know much about before is being canceled. And suddenly it felt like an opportunity. And I'm in Glasgow and I thought, okay, I have an ethical, spiritual practice and I need to respond. So that kind of kicked off yeah that just that just grew my okay i'm not perfect i'm very flawed i've not got a history of activism particularly but i just need to do something i want to do something and and how can i act and how can i galvanize and and how can i be with others that will do that yeah 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 that's really good that's really good to hear and uh well when we come back to what it actually was that that um you did and what you know what happened when you were out on on the streets but mm -hmm. just to go back to to the to the book uh Gaba. so i'm sitting here with uh the contents page i have got a copy of it by, by, by the way the book i haven't finished it yet but i have uh, started but it's just interesting like look, you start off and you're talking about you know a crisis 
Uh, but it's a crisis of empathy. I mean, obviously, there's a crisis of there's a crisis in terms of the climate and the stability of it, and and um, you know species being um, pressurized by that. But actually, what you start off talking about is a crisis of empathy. So, can you just unpack that a wee bit for us. Thank you. Yeah. So, I I, I kept on thinking there's 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 some spiritual dimension to this to this crisis to these emergencies, and obviously trying to, trying to understand that from a Buddhist perspective and also from what I know, which is I teach nonviolent communication, I share nonviolent communication. So that's all about empathy for oneself, empathy for others. For me, uh, it's a crisis of, of empathy in the sense that we haven't been able to get our heads around the issues. We just haven't been able to get, to, get our heads around the scale of the issues, the scale of the emergencies that we're, we're facing. So it's really a, a crisis of imagination, of our capacity to imagine the, the, the likely consequences of, of our actions, both personally and collectively. So I see it as a, a crisis of ethical imagination or empathy. And have you got any um, ways to increase that, either in yourself or other people? And... Yeah, so I guess there are two questions. It's like, well, what can we imagine and do we care? And I'm taking it that people that listeners to this program care. The question is, what you know, what can we imagine? So can we imagine the impact of our collective actions on, let's say, Pacific Islanders? And imagine, can we imagine them gradually moving their, their farmland and their livestock from the edges of the island as those become submerged to the higher ground in the island? and perhaps gradually having to leave the island completely because because it's just underwater you know it's just been submerged in the sea so so can we imagine that kind of impact and can we allow that to affect ourselves can we allow that to 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 change our decision making as we're you know driving to pick up the kids or whatever you know well what would be eating dairy products and you know whatever yeah, it's interesting. It's all, it is often it's the Pacific Islands that we start trying to imagine with, or or maybe you know the Bangladesh, the Delta, um, around mm. there was also low lying. Um, I, I was sitting in on a you know an online a Zoom um, meeting talk discussion the other week, and uh, we're actually the whole subject of it was a, a Green New Deal for Scotland. Mm. And what you know, what could or couldn't be done, and and I, the, the, the chap who was who was talk, giving doing the talk was uh, you know talking about the effects of climate change on Scotland, and I, I said um, I, I asked that for was I don't really know what effect. So say there was a one meter rise in sea level or a two meter rise in sea level. I mean, what would effect would that have on on Scotland and? Um, Craig sort of immediately said, oh, I've, I've got a map. I'll just I'll put a screen share it with you. And basically, one I think for two metres, Glasgow Airport is underwater because wow. it's very it's very near the Clyde. I mean, it's a good place to have it for an airport. It's, you know, it's got good approaches to it and everything, but it's very low lying. And, mm-hmm. and when you hear something like that, you kind of go, oh, uh, you know, it does, it does bring, it, bring it back to it. Whether that's a response in me of empathy or whether it's just shock about where will the aeroplanes land I, you know it's not doesn't necessarily kind of take you straight into uh, you know a more genuinely empathetic response but um yeah. you know in a way if we can sort of imagine how oh, it's it can happen here it's yeah. a, it's a kind of way and i was talking to a friend in a very unrelated thing actually earlier there's something about just if if one's not experienced something you know if we've experienced something like depression we can 
we're probably in a better place to really empathize with somebody who's got depression. And I think sometimes we can just have a real failure of imagination. And I think this is what Shantikarp is getting at. We can have a real failure of imagination just through our lack of experience to really imagine that something's difficult. And it was the thing that yeah, what it's to do with vaccinations and, and tests and things is very current. And, um, you know, just I can have my, my beliefs uh, about it, which are, I mean, I'm vaccinated, you know, but and and I've got people who are very strongly um, opinionated about that because they've maybe got you know health issues. And I think I I can be much more tolerant of 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 other other ways of looking at it. But when that person's needs are so dependent about it, you know, so if we can sort of imagine by well, our needs would be that we don't want to be under, you know, if we live within fifty yards of the Clyde, that we don't want to be too meet, you know, it can maybe it's a way in to imagining what other people are already experiencing much more. So, you know, I don't think it's a bad thing to actually get a bit yeah. self-referential. It's not, yeah. yeah. We have to get ourselves in there, really, actually. Yeah, I know that's very true. And I mean, actually, when I when this uh, chap put the map up, it was all, it was the three main rivers in Scotland. So the Clyde, the Forth and the Tay. And there, estuaries, and then quite far up the river, so as far as Perth, um, up to Stirling, um, beyond Glasgow, you could see there was, what I know from there is really good farmland, and it's being inundated. I mean, some of it will be actually inundated, and then there'll be, a, there'll be more around about that where, you know, the water tables change so that it'll be, the ground would become inundated with salt and everything and, and make it a much, much less fertile, if at all fertile. So it does, it, does bring it, it does bring it home to you. So last time CO2 levels in the atmosphere were this high uh, was about three, three to five million years ago, as far as I recall. And uh, at that point, sea levels were 10 to 20 meters higher than, than today just to give you an idea of how it might balance yeah. in terms of co2 levels and and uh and actually i mean this is something that's very difficult for us to get our heads around it's that um it turns out that human civilization is is highly vulnerable to sea sea level rise uh most of the the, the main uh the, the most populous cities in the world are built by the sea very yeah. close to on the sea because of ports, you know, because, because accessibility to ships. So it turns out we're exceedingly vulnerable as a species in our major cities to, to, to sea level rise. We didn't realize that, you know, it's like we just kind of, that's what I mean by empathy, by imagination. We, you know, we, we, we're, we're struggling to come to terms with the issues and the scale of the issues. Yeah. So, so having thought a little bit about that ability to empathise, um, and that maybe there's a crisis of us not empathising um, enough at the moment. But empathy itself does lead into, you know, thinking about the ethics of the situation, doesn't? Because if you if you empathise with something, actually, you don't want them harmed, or you wouldn't want to harm them yourself, and 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 hopefully they'd feel the same. So that does take take us into ethics and and there, you've got a chapter in the book that's called environmental ethics could, mm. could you say a wee bit about that yeah so so yeah from from this point of view uh, empathy is our ethical imagination and i talk about uh, from a buddhist perspective we've got various reasons why we might be engaged why we, why we could be engaged in uh, environmental action one of them simply is just self-interest it's like we don't want to foul our own nest you know, as individually and as a species and for future generations. And a particular interest we've got as Buddhists is we want to preserve the 
you know, the kind of atmosphere where humans can, can thrive. So in, in, enlightenment can still be a possibility. Uh, there are those kind of more rational elements. And then, then there's just a sense of solidarity with life. Yes, so indeed. Life is valuable as life. And that sense of resonance is like we, you know, we resonate with life outside ourselves because we can resonate with what's inside. With, with the life of with our life inside so that so so yeah just a sense of kind of uh, solidarity with life and, and finally uh, just responding compassionately when we see suffering we want to alleviate it so responding compassionately in a spontaneous way without thinking too much about it so those are the kind of elements I'd want to draw on if you know in terms of a Buddhist response a Buddhist ethical response to the climate and ecological yeah. Yeah, so, so um, I mean, at the heart of, uh, you know, Buddhist practice, there's a sort of statement that, unfortunately, for a lot of we human beings, we're, we're not really, we don't really act on the basis of compassion and wisdom. Unfortunately, we often act on the basis of uh, greed or hatred of, of even, and, you know, underneath that, a delusion about, about how things really are. So, you know, it strikes me that... Um, the whole, the whole, um, the whole, uh, you know, thinking about the, the, the response of, well, certainly the response of governments, and and even more so the response of, you know, corporate, um, from corporate pressure is, is on, is on greed. Um, so it's such a, it's, it's such a deep, deep set mental approach to things. I mean, and, and I mean, I'm saying them as if we we all do aware, we're aware of it and we all do it consciously, but it's not like that. It's much, much kind of, um, you know, deeper down in us. On the other hand, also deeper down in us is the capacity to, to turn that around and, 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 and behave on, you know, on, on, a, on a basis of wisdom. So do, do, you, do you touch on that in the, in the book? Yeah. Well, I think there are a couple of things there. One is, Greed, hatred, and delusion—they were—they were formulated by the Buddha as kind of you know personal kind of things which affect us personally. However, what we're dealing with now is corporatized greed, hatred, and delusion. So, you mentioned corporations. So, uh, so or at the advertising industry, you know, that is corporatized, institutionalized greed, uh, and hatred. Well, institutionalized, institutionalized hatred is. You know, the military industrial complexes in the world, which have an enormous influence on government policies around the world, national policies around the world. And then uh, delusion, what could that be? I don't know, well, like the media, I would say perhaps the media, you know, fake news and the media generally. We're dealing with institutionalized greed, hatred and, and, and delusion. Mm. And I think there's an element of, the, the, the delusion part is when there's an element of willfulness of, to, to it. It's not, it's, you know, you, you, we, we could claim that we didn't know about these issues, you know. However, some people did, and they yeah. suppressed that information. You know, like ExxonMobil did studies in the 70s, I believe, quite accurate studies about CO2 con constant, burning fossil fuels, CO2 concentrations, and temperature rise. Pretty accurate, it turns out. But they suppressed that information and they entered into massive campaigns of disinformation, of, of challenging that. If I, that, that, that view. So, so there's an element of the, the, the unskillful part is the element of, of, of willfulness, of willful ignorance. And that includes me and, and you know, uh, in my life as well. Yeah. Yes, yes. So a quite common response to that, um, especially thinking about the corporate, you know, willful, willfully um, ignoring, suppressing um, 
information like that. A common uh, response in people um, who, who do care about it is, is, an, is one of anger. Mm. Now, anger can be motivating. Mm. It can, you know, it can motivate us to get up and get out and do something. Um, mm. But do, do you think do you think that's okay to start off with? But maybe in the longer term, you know, we need to do something a bit more skillful than than that anger. I think in the long term, compassion is the only fuel that's going to be sustainable. You know, to to you know to 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 act in relation to the climate and ecological emergencies. However, a lot of my a lot a lot of my energy, a lot of other people I meet, their their energy is is in anger. So the question is. I don't. I don't want to demonise that. I want to find find the life in it. I want to see if I can find the life in my anger. So, well, actually, what I notice is, more often than not, the the, the when I really go deeply into the the anger, it's about care. It's about protection. It's about wanting to protect the world and protect the opportunities of future generations. You know, so the kind of opportunities I've had to enjoy enjoy life and enjoy the natural world. I want those to be there for future generations. Actually, I can feel the heat rising right now, even when I say that. I yeah. want those opportunities to be there yeah. for future generations. You know, I don't want to be a person who's handed on a kind of dud world or a kind of semi-uninhabitable world where there are always people are always worrying about, you know, about the next extreme weather event or you know, sort of sea level rises or what have you. I don't know, Angela, have you got have you got yeah. something you'd like to add to yeah. I'd love to share. Yes, it's, um, it's such a good point. In fact, it's kind of pivotal, really, for Buddhists. <laughs> we we want to be coming from. Uh, we want to be acting from from helpful mind states, I guess, and all, always, or certainly as much as possible. And in that old adage, we want to be part of the solution, not continuing the problem. So, I think I'd love to share this this experience that happened to me sitting in week one outside Barclays. So, you know, we don't, we don't mean anything personal to any of the staff in Barclays, well, <laughs> um, but Barclays is recognized as being the worst fossil fuel investor uh, in in Europe and in Britain. And, you know, obviously being a high street bank in, in the UK, it's accessible to us in a way. And we chose as, um, a group, so it's a kind of it's kind of subset, if you like, of the, of the Buddhist, uh, the, the climate uh, Buddhist activists, which in a way were acting sort of in an interfaith way and the and, and with you know non-faith coalitions and things during during COP, but also we there's a quite a strong XR Extinction Rebellion Buddhists group, and I ne never met these people before in person. So it was very beautiful to meet people like Santa Garba and some other people from from within our movement and from out with our movement. Mm -hmm. And we sat outside the, the bank branch, led by Santa Garba, actually, in a very beautiful reflection. So to the outside world, it might have looked slightly mysterious, slightly beautiful, quite arresting, I think. And it had a very strong impact on myself. And occasionally, well, at one point, we had a uh, so a portion of it was where we had eyes softly in so open and soft gaze. So, you you know, for, for those of you not used to meditation, you might think, well, meditation is about sitting with our eyes closed. And apart from those moments where I was just kind of too nosy to to not to be able to keep my eyes open anyway. <laughs> but there was this third portion where we sat eyes in soft gaze. And it was almost like, I don't know if you remember from the 70s being a kid, or however old you were, there was a thing called a viewfinder, and I felt like I was sitting looking at the world on on our gal yeah. street through a viewfinder, 
and suddenly this compassion just it was like I was just watching the flow I was experiencing watching this flow of life and human beings and somebody was singing and it wasn't the best singing but it was singing it was pretty good and there was something in that just in where we were with this peaceful meditative practice reflective practice um, based on a kind of generosity it was different hand gestures so generosity um touching the earth getting in touch with the actual mm. the earth and its plight and all of us in it and our impact or positive or negative and then this beauty this beauty of beings connected with and i've never had this sort of expressed in my mind before specifically i think buddhists talk a lot about suffering uh or delusion so greed hate and delusion as we've mentioned but i specifically had this suddenly was just filled with a sense of the, the beauty and foolishness of human beings and i just felt filled with compassion and me you know i'm including me all of us all of us mm. just we just are trying to do our best and all we can do is keep awakening to that and all we can do is keep awakening to each other's difficulty and not facing it and then that helps us open more to that and and i suppose it was just yeah the foolishness is just our shared inability to really to really understand the interconnectedness and actually just i i saw something today that an xr buddhist had put on the website their website and it was something about the the a Buddhist declaration of interdependence. So I was kind of thinking, oh, I am a, a, I am an, an independence um, supporter for Scotland, <laughs> but within that understanding of, you know, that mutual interdependence of, of yeah. beings on the planet, yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah. So I'm still working out what I go and do with that. I think initially I felt quite angry. So this is how it, I felt, I think I took it away. And once I got past the absolute, you know, exquisite feeling of just connection with it, I got a bit angry. I was a bit frustrated at God, Beings are, are just really a bit, we're just too stupid to sort this or we're too stupid to understand the consequences of our actions. And I just have to keep coming back. It's just my practice at the moment, just every yeah. moment yeah. I, I realize or every day I try to go, you know, it's compassion. I just have to keep coming back to compassion and love or meta, yeah. as we call it, a loving yeah. kindness and yeah. an, an unsticky loving kindness for, for, for yeah. all of us in this boat, this air boat <laughs> we live in. Sorry, yes, that, that and, was and, a bit, a bit yes, obvious, and, but and, it was all about and, anger and really. Yeah, it just seemed yeah. to sort of sum up something. Yeah, but it's interesting. I was at a meeting last night, an XR meeting, um, Extinction Rebellion meeting uh, last night, and one of the people who was giving a little bit of a uh, talk um, mentioned that film with uh, Pete Postlethwaite called The Age of Stupid. Oh it's, yes, it's, a, it's from a it, it's from a it's from a must be nineteen ninety. I can't quite remember when it came out. And I I remember when I I, I watched it, and I mean, I, I, she was saying what a big effect it had on her. It actually impelled her into doing something, and um, and it had quite affected me actually when I saw it as well. And and it's fair enough, you know, the age of stupid because we keep we see them, we see there's a problem, we we know what the solution is, but we carry on doing the same things, and then we wonder why we get carry on getting the same results. So it kind of is fair enough. The age of stupid, but but there's another there's another kind of connection to make, isn't there? And and, and it's maybe a bit more like the one that that you have just described, uh, Angela, because um, when I was listening to you um, on on that the other other video that you did, and when you mentioned that alchemical. Uh, 
moment. Actually, what that reminded me of was um, what's well, a book called The Atom of Delight by Neil Gunn. So Neil Gunn was a Scottish um, writer writing in the kind of 1930s, 1940s, I was think. Was he the Silver um, Darlings guy? Yes, he, he wrote about the Silver Darlings. So that was all about, you know, the effect of the clearances on on uh, on Scottish uh, rural populations. But The Atom of Delight is 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 a bit more of a, a biography. And actually, it's often described as a spiritual biography. And he... His phrase, the atom of delight, um, I, I just I looked up how he, dis, how he defined it and he says um, it's those moments where your sense of self become part and parcel of your sense of the world about you and where your normal self and self and other boundaries disappear or dissolve at least mm. momentarily they, they, they dissolve and, and, then, and then the experience of that is a delight and um, I mean I think I, I sort of like that it's called a delight because it's just it makes it a bit more accessible it's it's it, it's a momentary thing maybe but it's such a, a you know experience of well you mentioned beauty uh, Angela so beauty and delight and connectedness and he also talks uh, talks uh, quite a bit about then an awareness of interdependency how, how he's affected by what's happening on the hillside and what effect he's had on the hillside and what effect his, you know, his ancestors have, have, have had. But more importantly than that, he kind of talks about it as it's a way to live differently. If you can just capture the essence of it, you won't feel it all the time, but if you can capture the essence of it, it gives you a kind of a key to unlock a different, uh, a different uh, way, of, a way of living differently. And um, actually, since then, I, I remembered that... Um, he, Neil Gunn, although it was 1930s, he was talking about. Apparently, he was quite influenced um, in his in his thinking um, by by Zen, by Zen Buddhism. So, so anyway, these things are all kind of maybe helping us get to you know like key moments when something happens that's a bit out of the ordinary, but then trying to gra keep hold of it in a way that's you know that's that's uh, that's helpful. That's that's a, that's a difficult. Thing a little bit more I'd like to say because obviously I don't you know I'm not advocating to anyone that we get stuck in this uh, <laughs> thinking about our, our mutual and common foolishness I think what what the beauty aspect of it you know is that that's an important reminder for me if I just if I just come back to that it's like what capacity we have as human beings for, for creativity for, for acting creatively and for and for doing something more skillful and helpful for the planet for our situation for our human condition and co collectively and jointly and actually that delight you're talking about is something i just need to come back to again and again as well because i've got such an individualistic tendency and i can just sort of sort of feel overwhelmed by over responsibility and it's it's a quite a sort of arrogant thing really you know <laughs> but just to be able to come back again and again just into that god i'm not alone you know i'm here with others and and i can you know i i can just like go into that I just and there's a trust that needs to be there, an understanding of this the the you know you put some good something good into action and and something good might may well come out of it. We can't really know, and it's yeah, part yeah. of the Buddha's you know, yeah. teaching, isn't it? On on um a certain type of outcome will come from a certain type of action. You know, so a more positive yeah, one yeah. will produce hopefully, and uh, you know uh, all other things being equal, a more positive outcome. So you just yeah. have to continue to have faith in that. And as I practice as a Buddhist, and I touch yeah. the earth, whether I'm sitting in meditation in front of Barclays or I'm sitting in my house or 
and maybe out beside a tree um, in my local area, you know, I can just bear that in mind. And it's a real strong antidote to, to hopelessness, actually. You know, I think I think it I think it takes the whole idea of hope and hopelessness out of this whole endeavour for me. That actually, it's just an understanding that if I, as part of a collective, just act skillfully when I can, in the way I can, without killing myself with guilt and striving over you know and over over striving and that kind of thing, you know, something good will come. Something something better will happen. It might not be enough. It might never be enough. We can't know. But just to stay with a sort of something that's sustainable, you know. COP yeah. wasn't quite sustainable. I mean, we all just went and burnt ourselves out and then we're having a bit of a break. But, you know, we will come back. And I think everybody who's really around the world who's been galvanised up, you know, and, and focused on COP will be coming back strongly, hopefully in the new year after a bit of a rest. Yes, and and yes. changed, I think. Will all be changed with the sense of communities that that happened during COP, the sense of relationship building that happened, the sense of living and exemplifying something that we're actually wanting to offer as better toys. And maybe Shanti Garber would like to say something about that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, go on. Get, get, tell us about the the burning house and the toys, Shanti Garber. Well, I'd like to just comment on something that Angela said there. Just add, add, add something there, which is. Um, this thing about empowerment or sort of the sense of powerlessness that besets so many people, including myself. And I really came up against this strongly when I was writing the book. Uh, it's like, oh, what can I do? You know, kind of, it's like, kind of, you know, I came to think, and I don't know whether you'll agree with me this, but I came to think that that sense of powerlessness is to some extent cultural, is to some extent culturally conditioned by particularly by being a, living in a consumerist society, dare I say it. You know, we're used to consuming. We're used to kind of sitting back on, if we've got the dosh, if we've got the dosh, we get the goods, we get the services. But apart from that, we don't have much to do with anybody else or the outside world because this is mediated between, you know, mediated by, by, by finances. And, and that sense of kind of passivity and receiving, you know, the model of, you know, the TV, the TV as God, you know, in the, one-eyed god in every room i mean it's a lot bigger than that nowadays but um <laughs> get the idea so I, I came to sort of really want to challenge that sense of powerlessness and passivity in myself and to get and when i get the opportunity to encourage other people to 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 challenge that sense of powerlessness and, and passivity in relation to the climate and ecological emergency and as angela says just to start thinking well actually you know my actions do matter our actions do matter because the way we behave will impact the, the futures and the many different possible futures of the forthcoming decades and centuries. So, yes, our actions do really matter. Oh, so, burning house. Yes. The kids are inside. They're yeah. not kind of even aware that it's burning because they're all having a good time, aren't they? They're all so, playing with their toys. Oh, that's right, they're yeah. They're all playing yeah. with their toys. They're just completely absorbed in their toys, yes. Take them years to play all the, <laughs> all the games and all the apps they've got on their toys nowadays. Oh, yeah, don't tell us about it. I know. <laughs> yeah. So, but partially, they're, they're, they're in danger. They just don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting in the parable, the, the, the father who's trying to get them out, he's saying, Look, the house is on fire. You've got to get out, save yourselves. But they don't even know what fire is, they don't even know what a house is. 
so they haven't got a common vocabulary or common understanding of you know what's going on so and he tries he so he 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 tells them to get out because the house is on fire they take absolutely no notice they just carry on playing carry on playing with their toys and uh but then he has a kind of flash of inspiration and he he knows what kind of toys they like he knows what type what kind of toys each one of them like so it's a kind of empathic sort of uh move that he he, he has a sense of what what kind of toys is, uh, they like and then he's then he tells them he tells each one of them hey i've got, I've got this wonderful toy outside it's even better than the ones on tv and and you can play you can play with it till bedtime and of course <laughs> of course they come rushing out of the house fighting themselves jostling to get out to be first to get out of the house you know to safety so of course once they're outside the house he's able to give them uh, he's able to give them wonderful toys that they couldn't even imagine they received but but what i like about this this parable is it it gives me an idea that particular appeals are probably going to be more effective than general appeals than generalized yeah there may be many different kinds of appeal not necessarily one i don't think there is just one appeal I think different people are going to be motivated by different things. So it's worth just reflecting on that. So, you know, on what kind of toys are going to get people out of the house? So I, I ask this as a question when I do my book launches, I say, OK, what's our what's going to be our cry of inspiration? What's going to get those people out of the house? And then people come up with all sorts of different responses. That's that's fascinating. What what do they come up with? I've been just trying to think of some myself, but what, what do people they come up with all sorts of different things? Well, actually, one one guy, it wasn't quite what he said, but it was just the way that he said it. This is a, a member of the Tree Ratner Order. Uh, when I asked in Brighton at the Brighton Buddhist Centre, I said I asked this question, and he said, "Well, we just need to get together." Like that. So it was. It, there was something quite profound about that. It's just you know, and the way I understood it was, yeah, yeah, we need to put our heads and our hearts together about and acknowledge what's going on and look at what resources we've got to address the situation you know how can we address the situation proportionately to you know to the scale of it so that was that was a that's something that sticks in my in my mind and in my heart you know it was it wasn't how wasn't so much what he said it was just how he said it well we we need to get together we need to come together about this yeah yeah we, we we would get a, we would go a long way actually if we could manage to 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 do that i mean i when, when you were talking i was thinking oh yeah so what would uh you know what would get i, I mean i can i could sort of see that with, with some people especially people who've maybe got young younger children you know the, the thought of what those what their kids lives are going to be like in 20 years you know and when they're adults what, what they're going to have to what they'll be coping um coping with i mean that that could be a that might be a sort of stimulating stimulating one and um you know it's sure, like definitely. yeah yeah so and, and, things like well you know asking the question well you know what what kind of world do we want to hand on to our children you know yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. saying well our children will thank us for it if we act now if we if we appraise the situation and act now our children will thank us for it. So, what kind, you know, what kind of ancestors do we want to be? That's the kind of question. yes, yes. That's that's how it's sometimes put, isn't it? And um, and the other thing that um, came to mind as you were talking, which was maybe being prompted by having been thinking about Neil Gunn and his writing, because he's he's um 
He's a very he's a very he's a very poetic writer, mm. and um, his 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 novels are all set in in Scotland at various at various times and you know present and and uh, historic. But uh, yeah. you know, I I know myself like sometimes I can be, you know, driving through a part of Scotland and we're on holiday or something, and and I I I tap into such a deep felt sense of well, it's it's two things. It's the beauty of the place. But it's kind of that's underpinning that is a sense of belonging in a place. And I, when you were talking, I thought, well, that would, you know, that would get me out, I think, to do something because I, I you know, yeah, I want I, I want to carry on feeling this myself. But I also want other people, whether I mean, that's my own my daughter, but um, but but other people, other generations to be able to uh, experience that. and. To think of of um, us carrying on in the way that we're going, then then actually, the land itself will be changed, but also um, our ability to kind of have even the leisure to drive round it may may well may well disappear. So you mentioned beauty and belonging. Now down here in the south, we haven't got the benefits of the highlands and the beauty. You know the beauty. So so come up to visit you to uh, to enjoy. Uh, the beauty of the Highlands. However, I almost always hear people talking about uh, David Attenborough and the beauty of the films that David Attenborough uh, has, has has been involved in. So just that sense of beauty and the and the love that comes from that, I think that's absolutely crucial. Because you know, if, if we don't love it, we're not going to be protecting it. We're not going to have any interest in protecting it if we don't love it and have a sense of belonging to you know the highlands or you know sort of the earth the earth uh, generally we're, we're we're just not going to be motivated to to protect, to care for it and protect it so i think that is really really crucial that that sense of beauty and belonging so i'm just looking at time and we've been sitting here talking for 45 minutes actually it's amazing it's amazing how how quickly it uh, it passes and um anything else you want to say just um before we finish shanti garba Final thoughts. Your last chapter is called "Final Thoughts: <laughs> The Beauty and the Terror." Yeah. Well. Well. The, in the in the final in the last chapter, I kind of head for the cliff and sort of head, face the cliff, uh, of both acknowledging the beauty of life and also the the terror of the the risks that we're 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 facing, the risks that we're bringing. Into in the, into the earth and the, the earth's atmosphere, and trying trying to trying to learn to appreciate that that beauty, and recognise that it really is impermanent. You know, that it recognise it may not last, and so sort of all the more appreciate that beauty, the beauty of the natural world because of that, because because you know it's it is ephemeral. It is somewhat. You know, I was just asking. I was just asking Shantigarbo, Did he have anything just to say to finish to finish off? And may, maybe you, uh, you might want to just say something before we end. Yeah, I was certainly thinking about with the. I think Shanti Garba's point about it, it being quite important to try to be alive to what the what particular better toys um, people have in mind or would. Or that would appeal to people's, you know, a different people's imagination. And I think it's a real lesson that there's a principle, I think, an important principle that when we try to talk to people, 
who maybe aren't galvanized around this around these emergencies that we're facing it you know um who are just really distracted by by everyday problems who really struggle um and there was there was a, a very <laughs> a very tender incident in the second uh time we we sat outside barclays we went to that huge big building on the other side at tradeston the other side of the river yeah in week two shanty left during cop and we were we were crossing the bridge that little bridge in very sort of you know uh quiet um um procession and we had blackbirds with us um some extinction rebellion people dressed up as blackbirds they're known as the blackbirds from Froome. And they're so tender and they there's uh, one of the number reads out the story and how they're worried about their future and how they were kind of supposed canary in the coal mine to an extent. And and there were two young women crossing the bridge as we crossed. And in response to the tweeting of the blackbirds, one of them said, birds, shoot the birds. I've got enough problems feeding my wains, you know, and I think it just we've really got to try and remember what's important to people and how we can yeah how we can make it relevant yeah. and how we can yeah. make just i only caught that last line of what shanta garba said which is yeah you know the beauty the beauty and tenderness and preciousness of this one and only planet there ain't no planet b as, as your program says and yeah yeah uh, i think that's really important i think yeah. i think it's so it's all too easy i know for myself to just go in you know with um tackety boots and try and go well you know but you need to try and do this Nina, and this is important and da 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 but yeah it's balancing that god we don't have much time this is an emergency with let's try and really make it as relevant as possible yeah yeah, yeah. that's um that's a, a good a good place to to end on i think and and, and it is it is interesting isn't it when um you know, like you walking over the bridge, and then there's there's crow, there's black crows with you, and images like that. I mean, actually, ones that are kind of come to life uh, in in that instance have have an effect, don't they? Sometimes a surprising effect. Um, I, I and uh, to, again, while COP was on, I I went over to Govan one one afternoon when Storm, the, the 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 puppet, the big puppet Storm was well, she came out of that, she came out of the Clyde as as was meant to be, didn't really, of course, but actually she kind of did, and walked along um, to the uh, a bit further along Govan to a place called the Govan um, Govan Graving Yards. Mm. So those are, um, I mean, it's a it's the one big part of Glasgow um, on the on the, the riverside now that is that's underdeveloped. But what it used to be and still is is where they took the the ships to um repair them so that but it's basically dry docks but they're huge dry docks mm -hmm. um so storm w went along there and i i i went along i went along there as well with my, with my with my with my camera so i i tend to do I, I do tend to get a bit engrossed in just taking the photographs and you know doing a little bit of video but um at this point, there's something so striking about that puppet. And then there was also one there, uh, uh, a smaller puppet, but still bigger than Lifeside, called Amal. And she was a, mm. she was there representing, um, you know, refugees coming, mm. you know, leaving their, their their homeland for whatever reason. Um, and let's face it, uh, uh, millions of them are going to have to do that in the future, in 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 whatever countries, as climate change takes even more hold. But um, there was something very. I just, it was so poignant because so storm. So I, I don't know how tall she was, but 
five meters at least, and um, she she would she was rising to her full height. And yes, it's all done mechanically, but still, this quite beautiful figure was rising to her full height. And the graving docks are they're not completely opposite to where the the UN Blue Zone was for COP. They're a little bit downriver of that, but she just she just raised her she just raised her arm and and pointed and pointed over to as it happened from the angle I was at she pointed over to the UN I was nearly in tears actually because it was it was like the the ocean and the planets just going we need help here you know you could do it you could deliver it um you know will you will you please will you please get on it I, 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 and 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 do it and I mean, I, I don't know how optimistic you sort of feel about, you know, the Glasgow Climate Pact that has emerged from those meetings. I mean, certainly gets criticised on quite a lot of sides, but it is something and, you know, it's, uh, it's at any rate um, imperfect though it is, it's what we've got and um, ho hopefully something, you know, better will, even better will, will come out of it. But um, anyway, look, I've really enjoyed, I've really enjoyed talking to you both. It's just fascinating, you know, bringing a Buddhist perspective and that in and also just thinking about the kind of things that uh, influence us maybe a bit more deeply than we're sometimes uh, aware of because, um, after all, it's not just people who meditate or, you know, have decided that they're going to practice as Buddhists who have those underlying depth of feeling for beauty and um, and, and also terror. And let's hope that um, we manage to keep the balance more towards the beauty and a bit less towards the, 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 the terror. But again, thank you both so much for coming along. Um, we've really, 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 really appreciated it. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much.